Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and if you haven't been to our coffee shop, I do want you to go. We have a lot of free resources that are just for you on all things discipleship, all things sanctification, and you will find all of those things at lifeovercoffee.com. I have been doing biblical counseling for many years now, and there are a lot of benefits in doing biblical counseling. One of those is is that you get to watch God do many good things in people's lives. Another one of those is to be able to soak on these great ideas from God's Word, like that's what I have been doing for a multiple decades now, and that is a benefit when you spend your days meditating on God's Word day in and day out. One of the observations that I have found interacting with people and then as I apply God's Word to my life, I see a commonality with all people that we're really all the same. I know you have a unique story. You have a different kind of life. You have a narrative that is unlike anyone else. That's above the ground. That is the life that we live. That's the life that people see. But when you get below the surface where transformation finds its source, its genesis, there is a commonality with all of us. We're all cut from the same Adamic cloth, and so there really aren't any distinctions between us. There's just gradations of gray, but we are all basically the same. And one of the observations that I have found in our commonality is that we struggle with this idea of forgiveness. Because we live in a fallen world, we find ourselves entangled with other fallen people. Sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's the fault of others. Sometimes we just collide with each other, and it's both of our faults. But when it comes to trying to reconcile and work through our issues, forgiveness is one of the key elements, and it's one of the benefits that we have uh, from God's Word. And so what I want to do over the next few moments is I want to talk about forgiveness from a very practical perspective because this is something that applies to every one of us. And if you want to find what I'm about to share with you, just go over to lifeovercoffee.com, step into our coffee shop, and this is the, the specific topic that you're looking for. Here's the title. What is forgiveness and how to do it? What is forgiveness and how to do it? Now, you can type any version of that title into, your, into the search feature at lifeovercoffee.com, and you will find it. And I trust after these few minutes together, you will have a clearer, better, more practical understanding of forgiveness. And I really hope that you will share the article or the podcast, maybe the video with a friend or two, perhaps in your small group, so that you can talk about this all-important concept that is one of the privileges and benefits of being in Christ. And that's where I want to begin. Forgiveness is the exclusive domain and the divinely given privilege of the redeemed. 
I am not trying to be elitist at all, and I know that is that would be one of the things that people would say about Christians that you know we are an elite group. But the truth is that there are distinctions between Christians and non-Christians, and those are the only two categories that really matter. Everything else is a subcategory. But within our economy, God's world, there are two types of people: the saved and the lost. And non-Christian people cannot be free from their sin, and the reason is is because they are a part of the unredeemed. Uh, Their father is the devil, and Jesus was very clear when he outlined that in the four Gospels. And so there is the children of Satan and the children of God, and those are the two big categories. Whether we like it or not, that is the truth according to God's uh, God's Word. And because of that, God will not forgive any transgression from anyone of a person who is not walking in the light, a person who has not been born again. How can you be forgiven horizontally between relationships, and I'm talking about forensically and legally forgiven, when God has never forgiven you, and when forgiveness is a gift from God, it is a part of repentance, and God grants repentance, and within the repentance nomenclature, you will find forgiveness among many other things that will obliterate our sin and reconcile us together. Well, if you're not born again, there will be no granting of repentance and all the gifts that come with uh, the repentance construct because God opposes the proud and he will not grant repentance to a person that is rejecting God. Therefore, a person who is not a believer cannot experience biblical forgiveness. They can they can somewhat work through their dust-ups. They can work through conflict resolution, but as far as legally forensically declared clean, righteous, that your sins are obliterated, vanquished, and removed, that can never happen for a person who does not know Christ. Believers, however, can experience release from all of their transgressions through forgiveness. This divinely granted gift is the means of grace that allows us to have relationships as God intended. And of course, all of this brings us to the most important question. How do you live out forgiveness, practically speaking? And so as I enter into this, I want our point of departure with a forgiveness discussion. I want it to begin by delineating cultural and biblical forgiveness. Now, I really shouldn't say cultural forgiveness because there is no true forgiveness. It would be cultural peacemaking. It would be cultural reducing of our dust-ups, cultural conflict resolution. So whatever that is that they're trying to do, I want to delineate their conflict resolution with biblical forgiveness. Cultural forgiveness is like it's like an empty add-on. If an unregenerate person said to another, I forgive you, that's like an empty add-on at the end of a conversation with a peripheral friend. You know, like, hey, let's get together again. Now, for those of you who live in the southern part of the United States, we call that a southern expression. 
When my wife uh, moved down in the uh, mid-80s, we met in the mid-90s and dated and got married. But I would take her to visit my my family, my relatives and friends, and inevitably we would leave somebody's home and they would say, hey, y'all come back now. Of course, Lucia would pull out her day timer and, and, and begin planning a date, and I would tap her on the shoulder, and I would, I would say, hey, they didn't mean that. And she said, no, she said, Let's come. we want to come, we want to get together again. I said, no, that's a Southern expression. Uh, it, it, it's a cultural courtesy conversational appendage that probably should be tossed into the miscellaneous file and labeled Little White Lies because it's just something that we tack on. And that's my illustration of forgiveness within the culture. It lacks force. It lacks authenticity. It lacks clarity. And it definitely lacks authority. Biblical forgiveness is a different animal altogether. It is full of divine power, authentic realism, and clarity from God's Word that will not find satisfaction until the guilty person experiences release from their transgressions. That is biblical forgiveness. But it also comes from the judge of the universe. He is not opposing the proud. Those who have asked Christ to regenerate them have been forgiven of their sins. They have received an alien righteousness. They are they are saved by the grace of God, God's favor is on them. And so the divine judge of the universe will grant biblical forgiveness to his children. But it doesn't begin on the horizontal level, not biblical forgiveness, between two human beings, which is a distinction between cultural and biblical forgiveness. Cultural forgiveness, or whatever we want to call it, is is completely horizontal. There is no granting of forgiveness from God. There is no forensic cleansing from God. It's just them trying to make amends so that they can move on with their relationship. Sin-releasing forgiveness starts on the vertical plane, that divine space where the sovereign God waits for the contrite of heart to enter into His sacred space, seeking release for missing the mark. The first step in biblical forgiveness is always between the offender, you and me, who has sinned and the offended And the Lord is the first, and the Lord is the most crucial offended person. I'll talk a bit about that in just a moment. And so if you do want to end well with forgiveness, you must begin well. And if you're going to experience release from any sin and all of the accompanying guilt and conviction that comes with a crime, then you must make your request known to God before you can do anything else. And so I just wanted to spend a little bit of time delineating between biblical forgiveness and cultural relational conflict resolution, I will call it. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of our time together is I want to lay out five links in a sequence to explain biblical forgiveness. And I do trust that this will help you. It'll also help you in your conversations as you talk to other people, as you disciple 
do biblical counseling with others, those people that you're helping, but also uh, the folks that you find yourself in a relational dust-up with as you sin against them or they sin against you. I hope these five steps that I'm going to walk through will help you uh, have clarity about what biblical forgiveness is from a very practical perspective so that you can implement these ideas in your life. So five things in sequential order. And the first one, I'm calling conditional forgiveness. And the reason I'm saying this is that I'm coming from 1 John 1, 9. You know that familiar text. It says, if, there's the condition. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so with the primary offended person in view, God Almighty, the offended power, the passage in 1 John is a great place to think about the act and the process of forgiveness. And the operative word in that verse is conditional. And that's why the first link in this sequence I am calling conditional forgiveness. Because he begins with that word, if. If we confess our sin to the Lord, we may receive forgiveness for our sins from the Lord. The implication of the opposite would also be true. If we do not acknowledge our sins to the Lord, He will be faithful and He will be just not to forgive us of our sins and not cleanse us from any unrighteousness. And so conditional forgiveness is link number one, and it is essential because it begins with that very large word, if. The condition for forgiveness hinges on whether the guilty person will ask for forgiveness. A request for release must happen to experience release. We are not allowed to be sloppy in our forgiveness as though we can dismiss our sins by some other means. To be forgiven outside of the parameters and the power of the gospel would be a mockery of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. We must have the Lord's judicial approval for the obliteration of our sins. Therefore, we can conclude that we must ask for forgiveness to experience forgiveness, and we must ask the Lord to be free and clear of our offenses. We also see this condition of forgiveness statement made in Romans regarding our salvation. Just as we can't experience forgiveness in our sanctification sins without asking, we cannot receive salvation without asking. And that's why you hear in Romans 10, 9, that same conditional word, if. Paul said it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so in this linkage and understanding forgiveness practically, the very first link is conditional forgiveness, if we will step into it and do it. Now, the second word is confessed, confessed forgiveness. That's the second link in the chain going back to what John says, if we confess. And so now we're moving down that sentence and we, we're locked in on the word confess. To confess means to agree with God. It's really that simple. We agree with God about what we have done. We enter into the Lord's presence through prayer and we agree with Him about what we did wrong. 
A confession is a way to get on the same page with the Lord, like literally the same page with the Lord. It's like, God, I agree with your word, meaning I agree with you. I agree with your word that I have done wrong. That is a confession. And after we agree, we may ask him to release us from the penalty that we justly deserve. If we do not request an offended person to free us from our sins, then we leave the potential forgiver in a threefold quandary. Let, let me give you an illustration on the horizontal level just for a moment. Let's say that Biff and Mabel, Biff sins against Mabel, and Biff does not ask. He doesn't confess. He doesn't agree with God. He doesn't agree with Mabel. What he's done wrong, but he's objectively, he has objectively sinned and he needs to ask for forgiveness. If he doesn't do that, he leaves Mabel in a threefold quandary. Number one, I'm not certain you are aware that you need forgiveness. I mean, that is a weird thing to have in a relationship when it's objectively obvious that you have sinned. Number two, I'm not certain you care about forgiveness. It gets worse. I mean, that it's like, I'm not sure if you are aware is one thing. I'm not sure if you care. That is a deeper level of complexity. And then number three, I'm not certain you want forgiveness. I mean, it can even communicate that apathetic mental posture from Biff. And so if we are not asking, if we're not in agreement with God and His Word and with everyone that we send against, it does leave us in that threefold quandary. Fixing our mistakes is not a passive activity. It takes engagement from both the offender and the offended. The Lord does not remove our mistakes without this kind of biblical reciprocality, meaning that we have to confess. If we humbly ask for forgiveness, we can be joyfully released from what we did wrong, which affirms the purpose of the cross. Jesus willingly paid for our sins, which was ample enough to remove any penalties that we may have accrued. Maybe the bank analogy would be helpful here. In, in Christ's economy, there is so much money in the bank, and we can have full access to as much of that money as we want as long as we humble ourselves, acknowledge our need if we confess, and we request, confess, we will get all the cash that we need. But be warned, the offended person is not allowed to throw money just at anyone that he wants to arbitrarily. God is just not going to forgive because we didn't ask. And similarly, we cannot stand at the foot of the cross and arbitrarily release a person from their crimes when they have not owned what they did or requested release from the offense. And so on the horizontal realm, we can't release anyone from their sin either, just as God will not release us. They have to ask. We have to ask those that we have offended. And so forgiveness begins with God. Forgiveness is dependent on an agreement confession with God about what happened. And when the offender asks for forgiveness, he receives it. So thinking about forgiveness in this linkage that I'm building out for you, in link number one, it is conditional on the word if, if we confess our sins. If we don't, then there is no forgiveness. And then number two is confessed forgiveness. And now we're locked in on the word confess, the agreement. I agree with you, God, according to your word that I have sinned. 
Now, point number three, I want to come back to a priority here, and so I'm calling this a categorized forgiveness. Understanding this process of forgiveness is imperative because if God does not release us from our sins, He will not grant the horizontal forgiveness we may need, the forgiveness that we seek from others. And so there is a priority here. That's why I'm calling point number three, categorize categories and categorize forgiveness. It would be the height of arrogance to think any of us could forgive a person of their sins when the Almighty Lord has not forgiven them of their sins. And so my forgiveness granting is biblically meaningless if the sinner has not been forensically, legally, and divinely released by the ultimate offended power. It would be like me telling a person that that. He is a Christian when God has not regenerated him. Hey, you don't have to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. I'll do that for you. Do you want to be saved? Great, you are saved. Go in peace. Imagine being at your local courthouse and a convicted felon hobbled by you in an orange jumpsuit and chains. Before the criminal enters the courtroom, you go to the criminal, the person, and you release him from his crimes. He is joyful and appreciative that you paid his debt to society. He continues into the courtroom only to find out that the judge is not as accommodating as you were. He sentences the felon to life in prison. Because God has not forgiven the person, any pronouncement that we make about the person is irrelevant unless All we are looking for is some form of partial cultural forgiveness to put the relational tension behind us. And you will find that often where people will use forgiveness pragmatically and they can mouth the words, will you forgive me? But they have never brought that sin before God. They have never asked God to forgive forgive them of the sin, and they're really just looking for conflict resolution to minimize whatever's going on in the relationship. That is, biblic- that is unbiblical pragmatics. If we sin against someone and ask them to forgive us, but we do not ask God to forgive us, then we are not forgiven in the way that we need forgiveness because we're still guilty before God. And so you could think of it like categories. Point number three, categorize confession. The Lord is always the primary category, and everyone else is secondary. And so when you sin against someone like, say, your spouse, make sure you're talking to God first. God is always the utmost offended person when sin happens. And until the offender reconciles that relationship, all terrestrial confessions will be inadequate. No one can grant forgiveness to us as though we can be free from the sin committed if we have not asked God to release us. We're talking about practical forgiveness. Point number one, it was conditional forgiveness. If, point number two, is confessed forgiveness if we confess. Point number three is categorized forgiveness, asking God first. And then point number four is complete forgiveness. And now I want to come down and and advance into the horizontal realm of the human kingdom now that we have our priorities straight on who to confess to first, who to ask first. And so I'm calling this complete forgiveness, point number four, the fourth link in the chain. 
This link in the sequence brings us to the sphere of confession. And so with the good Lord's full pardon, you are forgiven. Of our crimes, we are now ready to approach all the other people within the spheres of offense, because that is a high probability that we not just sinned against God, but we sinned against others as well. And so you could think about this like, like circles that entirely completely overlap or stack on top of each other, and there are three circles. The first circle is the sphere of offense, the circle of transgression, how many people did I sin against? And so we have to determine all the people that we have offended. Now, because God is always the offended party, He is always within the circle of offense. And so God is always in the circle, always. All sin offends God, no exception. So He's in the circle of offense. But there may be other people within the sphere of offense, too. Perhaps you could think about it like a group of people in white clothing standing on the sidewalk. And as you pass by them in your vehicle, you hit a, a mud puddle and you splash some of the dirty road water on them. And so what you want to do is stop the car, get out, go back, and find out who all, you, all the people that you dirtied by your actions. That is your sphere of offense. The people you offended should be the same number of the people that you confess your sin to. That's the sphere of confession. That's why these circles are the same size and they stack on top of each other. And so you have identified everybody that you have sinned against. And now that's the same number of people that you want to confess your sin to, the sphere of confession. The people you offended should be the same number. God's always offended by your sin. Other people may be within the sphere of offense, and there will be other people not within the sphere of offense. They are outside that circle, and there's no pressing need to let them know what you have done. At least you should not seek their forgiveness. You can make a case for talking to them about what you have done by illustrating it. I do that all the time. You know, I, I will tell you or tell others, you know, I sinned against Lucia, I sinned against our, our children. I'm not confessing that to you or asking you for forgiveness. I'm just, after it has been neutralized by the power of God, I think it's good appropriately to talk about some of the things that we do wrong, some of our sins as illustrations so that we can encourage one another and practically help people through whatever our problems may be. But if they are outside the sphere of offense and the sphere of confession, then there's no need for a sphere of forgiveness. There's no need to ask them for forgiveness. And that is the third circle that stacks on top here, the sphere of offense, sphere of confession, and the sphere of forgiveness. We're talking about complete forgiveness. That's point number four. There will be times when you cannot ask a person to forgive you for what you did to them. Suppose you had a dysfunctional relationship with your father, as I did, and, and he passes away, as mine did. Well, his death makes relationship reconciliation impossible, obviously. Now, in those cases where you can't transact forgiveness where it's impossible, 
God will provide grace for that. What he is looking for is a heart that wants to reconcile, even though in some situations you will not be able to reconcile for whatever the reason may be, and in this case, like someone who has passed away. And so you ask God to forgive you for the wrongs in that relationship while sharing your attitude of forgiveness with him, a heart that wants to forgive or a heart that wants to be Forgiven wants to be free from what happened, but you can't transact that forgiveness in time. You should be able to rest in His grace. You have done all that you could possibly do. And so in this fourth link, we're talking about complete forgiveness. And now the fifth one is convicted forgiveness. Now what I mean by that is that when you are asking someone to forgive you, it is incumbent that you try to remove any doubt whatsoever or any speculation about the genuineness of your confession and your request for their forgiveness. You do not, you do not want to make it harder for the offended person to forgive you. They're already struggling with what you did, and so don't add to that struggle by being casual or flippant about a forgiveness request. If your sin has broken you, you should be willing to do anything to make it right. And one of the ways that you can do this is by bringing a clear and unassailable case against yourself regarding what you did. Now, here is a sample of what I'm talking about. I'm not suggesting that you use this sample verbatim, but it illustrates how you want to be very clear and definitive about what you did because your goal is to make it as easy as possible for the offended person to grant forgiveness. And as they see your seriousness, as you will hear in this brief little illustration here, uh, they will be compelled to want to grant forgiveness. It can go like this. I know that I have offended you. I have sinned against God and you. The Spirit of God has convicted me for what I did, and I cannot rest until I'm completely free from my transgression. I'm so sorry that my sin has hurt you. I wish to take it back, but I realize that I can't undo it. I hope you can forgive me for my actions. I sinned when I, and then you're very specific about what you did, appropriately specific about what you did. It did not honor the Lord's name or bless you in any way. I throw myself at your mercy and will not be able to move forward until you grant me forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Now, again, it's not necessary. In fact, I hope you don't parrot this sample confession, but it is essential to have the attitude that this confession and this request for forgiveness communicate. Your confession must be pneumatic, mean you work it out between you and the Lord, not read it from, from an article at lifeovercoffee.com. And you and the Spirit of God collaborate on how you want to present your case against yourself to another person. You don't want to be nonchalant, haphazard, flippant, vague, rote. Make it, make it more comfortable for the person you hurt as much as you can. And your seriousness will do that. And if you, if you do this... If you can do this, if, you're, if your sin has genuinely broken you, which you will convey by asking them to release you from it. I have titled this, What is Forgiveness and How to Do It? I have broken it down into five links in a sequence. Those five links are conditional forgiveness, if. Number two, confessed forgiveness, 
if we confess. Number three, categorize forgiveness. Start with God first. Number four, complete forgiveness. Uh, make sure that we have all the spheres uh, tidied up. And then number five, convicted forgiveness. We're dead serious about it. Now, I want to ask you a question under each one of those categories, and then we will wrap up. Number one, conditional forgiveness. Are you hesitant to confess your sins to those that you have offended? Well, if, if you do not, then you, you will not be forgiven. And so if there's hesitancy there, you want to work through it. Number two, confessed forgiveness. Do you make it clear to God and others what you did? Are you in agreement with God, in agreement with His Word, in agreement with others, so that they can quickly agree with you about what you did? Confessed forgiveness. Number three, categorize forgiveness. Are there times when you never ask the Lord to forgive you, though you did ask others? Guard against pragmatics where you're just trying to clean up a mess, but you you haven't made God the primary uh, uh, the you haven't made God primary as far as uh, receiving His forgiveness, categorized forgiveness. Number four, complete forgiveness. Do you seek out all those you offended so you can reconcile with all those that you've committed sin against? Identify all the people that you splashed the dirty road water on, including God, and make sure you go to all of them. Number five, convicted forgiveness. What is your general deportment when you're making a case against yourself to another person? Is there anything you need to change about conveying the seriousness of your transgression? Hard to overemphasize this one. Make it easy for them to forgive you by bringing a severe and clear case against yourself. If you want to read everything I've shared with you, the title is, What is Forgiveness? And how to do it, go to lifeovercoffee.com. You will find it. You can read it, watch it. You can listen to it. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.